Good morning. Once again, good morning. Let me start with uh, asking a few questions. You don't have to raise hands or answer. Uh, have you ever led someone to Christ? Have you ever led someone who is not Christians to become Christians? When I say not a Christian, means it can be a nominal Christian, someone who calls himself or herself Christians, but not a true believer. Or maybe someone who is not a believer, maybe a Muslim, a Buddhist, an atheist, and you led that person to Christ. Have you ever done that in your lives? Have you ever tried to really intentionally witness the Christ to someone else? In your office, or in your neighborhood, or in your lives? Maybe you have been Christian for 20, 30, 40 years. If you say yes, uh, it will be great. You can share your experience with someone else in the church, in your small group. But if you say no, then the question is why? Why in my Christian journey I haven't really led someone to, be, to know Christ? It is because of fear, fear of being rejected or fear of some other consequences. Or maybe because I think this is not my job. It is a job of missionary, professional missionary, pastors, elders, uh, some people who are paid to go out and to witness about Christ. It is not my job. I am just a church member. I come to church being ministered to. I uh, give offering, and that's all. Uh, leading someone to Christ is not my job. Or maybe you never knew that actually I'm supposed to do that. Or maybe others will think I would like to, but I don't know how to do that. Or maybe I don't have courage to do so. I still remember... I think 10 or 15 years ago, I was invited to an interfaith gathering where the leaders or some representatives from different religions uh, were there. Uh, people saw that our, the organization I was involved was quite radical. They would say that they sent me so they can brainwash. Uh, and then they were, they used to have a good relationship with each other. And there were leaders from uh, 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 Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Catholics, and Protestants. And as we talk, uh, the guy from the, who represented Buddhism said something like that. Actually, as a Buddhist, we don't have problems with everyone. We live peacefully with everyone. Only these two guys, he pointed me and the guy from the uh, Islam, say, they have always conflict with each other because both of you are from missionary religion, this is what they say. You try to go out and convert people into your faith. That's why you cause trouble. If you live like us, we will live peacefully. To be honest, it was the first time I heard someone who is not a Christian talking to me about the nature of my faith. 
that actually Christianity is a missionary religion. And it's true. Probably he was not meaning as a compliment, but it was eye-opening for me to realize that this is how people perceive us. And it's true. We are missionary religions because our God is a missionary God. From the beginning, missionary means sending out. Mission is sent out. He calls people and sends them out. He calls Abraham. He sends Abraham out. He calls Abraham. He blesses. But he says, it's not blessing is not for yourself. You should be a channel of blessings to many others. He calls Moses. And sends Moses out to deliver the people of Israel. He calls the people of Israel. And he says, I will bless you. You are my people. But I will use you. You are supposed to be channel of my blessings to people of other nations. But then the people of Israel thought, now the blessing is for ourselves. Let's keep it. Don't share it with others. Until the book of Acts. Soon we will learn. Uh, they want to keep it for themselves. And in the New Testament, he calls disciples and he sends them out. That is our God. And our God is also a global God. His vision is not only for one area, one particular area. His vision is for the entire world. It says to Abraham, through you, the nations on the earth will be blessed. He sends his disciples later on. You will be making disciples of all nations. Now, our presence today here in this church speaks very clearly about that. Just look around. Uh, thank God not everyone looks like me. That could be very boring, yeah? We are very different from each other because of this missionary God. Today, uh, we launched uh, a new series from the book of Acts uh, called Church to the World. Church to the world. Uh, this is going to be a long series because uh, Acts has 28 chapters, but you will enjoy it every passage because it's stories. There are lots of things that uh, look under the guidance of Holy Spirit, wrote it down. And, uh, and today, I was asked by the elders to start, and the topic I give is Christ's vision for the church to the world. And then uh, the coming weeks, we can learn more about that. Yeah, we'll start reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. We still have this already. I will read from uh, NIV. Yeah. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he sought himself to this man and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over the period of 40 days 
and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up to heaven from you will come back the same way you have seen him go to heaven. Father God, thank you so much that we could gather together to worship you and have this wonderful, valuable moment of listening to the Word of God. We truly believe that the Word of God is living and active. And as we hear, we pray that the Word will challenge us, will transform us, will give us new ideas, will open our eyes to see what is your hearts, what is your desires for us to do and to live as disciple of Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So the topic for today is Christ's vision for the church to the world. But before I talk that what it is and why the elders chose this book uh, for us to go through this coming year, maybe more than that, uh, let's talk a little bit about the background. Uh, because Luke started with saying, uh, in my former uh, book, Theophilus. That means the book of Acts is the second book that uh, the author wrote. Now, uh, the first one is the Gospel of Luke. So this is a two-volumes book. And when we talk about book, this is not a book form that we have right now. It was scroll. So probably he, he ran out the scroll of first first one, and then now he took the second one, wrote the book of Acts to the same person. And it was expensive undertaking. It is not easy to get the scroll. It was expensive, and you have to do it uh, carefully. Now, uh, who is this author, and why do we need to know to understand better the book of Acts? Uh, there is no mention of the author of either God, uh, Luke or Acts, but based on the traditions, traditions mean the sources that we know after Jesus returned to heaven in 50 to 100 years after that, the church father wrote that this gospel and book of Acts were assigned to Luke. And Luke is mentioned 
in the Bible. At least four times his name was mentioned. And most in four, these four occurrences always related to Paul. He was together with Paul in prison. Colossians 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Philemon uh, 24, I mean uh, three times. Uh, he was together with Paul. But how, do, how does he know about the book of Acts? The answer is, sometimes when we read Acts, we find the word we. We do this together. When he, he uses the word we, means he was part of the team. And the first time was in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul was trying to go to Bithynia, northern Turkey, but he was prevented by Holy Spirit to go there to preach the gospel. So they stayed in Troas, and at night, Paul received a vision of a Macedonian man. Maybe he knows, recognized that because of their face and the way they wear clothes. He said, come over to me and help us. And uh, Luke wrote that the next day, they believe that this is from the Lord, and we decided to go to Macedonia. This is the first time the word we use. So I think Luke probably lives or is from uh, Troas or surrounding areas, and he joined Paul for the first time there. And in the next uh, verses, when we find that, usually around Troas, you can find in the, in the map, and in Jerusalem, uh, in Caesarea, when Paul was in prison, he was together with Paul uh, from uh, a travel from Caesarea all the way to Rome. So he knew pretty well what happened there. And, uh, and he was with Paul uh, during the last days of his life. And Paul says that he's a physician, he's a doctor. So he's a well-educated uh, man. Uh, and uh, in fact, the Greeks of the book of Luke and and Acts are quite, it's quite fine Greek, it's very high level of Greek. Uh, we had to study that in the Bible college and it was very hard. And only the Hebrews, Greek of Hebrews, quite the same. So he's a, he's a, a, fair, a well-educated man and he's an historian as well. Maybe not by professions, but the way he writes Luke and Acts are very well. Uh, this is what uh, some commentary says that the introductions of Luke also for the book of Acts. We can understand that. And this is the probably only book in the New Testament where the author describes how he writes the book. And uh, there are many witnesses. He consulted with many witnesses. First, uh, witnesses, there were the apostles. Uh, and the servant of the word, and in verse 3 he says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And it seems good uh, also to me to write down an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And we'll uh, learn later in Acts that uh, Acts is very uh, accurate in geography, in all the places that he wrote, and the history. Uh, the book of Luke, uh, Gospel of Luke, mentioned when Jesus was born, he mentioned not only he was born, but who was reigning at the time. 
he, he gave the historical context of what happened uh, in the gospel. And he mentions about the recipient of the letter, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is probably a, he is an, a Gentile. Luke is a Gentile as well. So this is the gospel that is written by a non-Jewish uh, man, uh, proving that something is sifting from Jewish context to a global church. It is not only combined or confined to one area or one people group. Uh, most excellent, in the Greek it means someone who holds power. Someone who is powerful. So probably he is Roman's officials. He is a wealthy man. Uh, and he probably is Luke's patron. That means he will uh, support Luke in uh, producing more of these scrolls, of this book, to be circulated and distributed. At the time, making books is very expensive. You need to find someone who is able to help with this. Something like uh, the King James Version Bible. The Bible is presented to King James, but it's not meant only for him to read. It is actually for broader uh, uh, readers, but it is good for him to know, and probably you will find that. The uh, famous book by John Calvin Institusi, The Teaching of Christian Religion, was presented to the king of France, but it was not meaning that it's only for this king. They hope that they can understand the Christian faith and, and help to kind of recommend that. So it was written for Theophilus, but not only for Theophilus. It is for broader audience. So you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Christianity, our faith does not come from history, but our faith is strengthened, approved, by history. Our Christian faith is historical faith, actually. We believe in the person, Jesus Christ, who truly lived on earth, crucified, rose back uh, to life. That is proof in the history. And to strengthen the faith of this man, who was probably also being discipled to become a Christian. Or maybe a, a disciple already. He was already taught about the faith. And uh, now... Uh, uh, wants to write this to strengthen his uh, faith. Uh, recently, uh, there was a serious challenge of the history of Islam. I'm not allowed to say this probably about uh, uh, studies uh, about that questions what they say about the existence of the city Mecca, the existence of Prophet Muhammad, and uh, the the book because it has not been really scrutinized by history, whether this has truly happened or not. The Bible has been criticized, has been uh, scrutinized by scholars over the centuries, and we still preach the gospel, we still stand strong, uh, because our faith is in the Lord, approved strongly by the history. Why did Luke write this, there are many purposes, but briefly I've mentioned at least three things we can uh, pay attention to. Number one is that Luke wants to give the history of the early church. 
how the church was founded and how the church expanded very rapidly in the first short period of, uh, of uh, time. We'll soon uh, listen to the sermon on the outpouring of the spirits and uh, Paul's missionary journeys from chapter 13 of the book of Acts uh, throughout uh, Asia, Asia Minor, Europe, all the way to Rome, and from Rome to the rest of Europe, and then we are here now as Christians. It is the continuations of this history. But uh, Christian faith has taken different types and forms over the centuries. The way we do church is different probably. If you go to uh, America, it will be different maybe in Europe, uh, uh, different in Iran, maybe in, uh, in many different places, maybe different. But when we ask the questions, why do we do things we do, probably one of the answers is we go back to the book of Acts. We see how the church was started and how the church was expanded. We can have different opinions and ways because of our uh, cultural backgrounds, our, our, the place where we live, but we can always go there and to see how our New uh, Testament church was started, started and expanded. It can serve also as a guidance for us. Yeah, we, we will learn soon about the early church, how they live. If you ask questions, why do we have preaching uh, on Sunday? Why do we have to sing? Why do, do we do certain things in the church? From where we draw this, this way of life doing church? The answer is we go to the book of Acts because that is how the church was uh, started. That can serve as our uh, guide or pattern even though we realize that in the history of the church, there are certain period in the church that is bound to that context. We have to learn carefully and draw the lessons that we can apply in our uh, world today. Of course, Jerusalem at the time probably different from our context today. Uh, Palestine at the time, Judea at the time was different from now. But it is the task of Christian to study and to uh, apply that. Luke wrote this not only to give history, but also actually he was trying to defend Christian faith to the Roman world because the recipient was a, a, a Roman uh, citizen. That actually in many encounters of Paul with the Romans officials that we are going to learn, there was nothing wrong with Christianity actually. That is what Luke uh, was trying to portray. Uh, uh, Paul himself was a Roman citizen. In Acts chapter 16, probably he was released from prisons when they found out that he was a, a Roman citizen. In many encounters with this, Luke wants to let Theophilus know that actually we are a licensed uh, religion. We are an official religion, religia. Religulizita, that's how they say that. It's, it's okay to be Christians and to be a Roman citizen. It is something like how you present your Christian faith to a government officials in Indonesia who is not a Christian. Is Christianity against Pancasila? That is the, the, what's that, the foundations of our country, the philosophy of our country. Is it against or not? 
It is dangerous to be Christians because we will be perceived as trying to revolt against the government. Our values and principles are against the, the state or not. This, he was trying to do so. And I think as a Christian, we can say also that okay, in Indonesia, we can be good Christians and be good citizens of, uh, of the country. He was trying also to prove to uh, the uh, Jewish people that Christianity is not actually against that because all the things that is happening now has been promised and now fulfilled in the New Testament. So it is a defender. He tries to defend that. And uh, you will find out that actually when we read Acts, we think that it is stories. But actually one third of Acts is filled with sermons and speeches. 33 speeches were recorded there. Long speeches. Yeah. Even starting for next week, there is a short speech of Peter already. Not to uh, mention about the long one that he soon will preach in Acts chapter 2 after they receive the Holy Spirit. This is only, for example, 10 major ones that are mentioned that. From Peter, Stephen in chapter 7, uh, uh, before he was stoned to death, he gave a long sermon, actually. The history of salvation from creation all the way to uh, Jesus Christ. And Paul mentioned that ago. So when uh, we hear about the sermon on these speeches, we can learn how to present the gospel historically. Uh, so not only stories, but also lots of uh, theology, lots of sermons that we can learn and I try to uh, connect that with our current situations. For example, the sermon or speeches of Paul in Acts chapter 17, very culturally relevant. And then you can take that and think, how can I make the same one that is culturally relevant to Indonesian context, to Asia context, where majority is not Greek uh, philosophies followers, but Buddhists or Islam or, or other faiths. Now let's go back to our topic, Christ's vision for the church to the world. And this is his vision. Very, if you forget everything uh, today, you can remember this one sentence. That his vision, his desires, is that his disciples will be empowered with the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses to the entire world, to the whole world. That is his vision. It is stated very clearly soon in chapter 1, verse 8. Now, so actually, our church is called International Church. It's good because that helps us to think globally. A church is not only confined of one race or tribe. It is, it is a global faith. And in fact, currently, probably Christianity is the only major global faith there is. If you see the map that is made by... Even CIA, probably CIA, maybe our religion is, is everywhere. Uh, I think it is driven by the book of Acts for the early disciples to grow everywhere to preach the Gospels. And oftentimes in Indonesia, when churches begin to complain about doing missions, oh, why do we have to do missions? We have lots of things inside the church we have to take care about. And I ask these questions. What do you think if the missionaries a century ago taught the way you think? that why do I have to leave my country, go somewhere to preach the gospel? I just stay here. Maybe we never become 
Christians. The missionary-driven uh, enterprise is driven by these visions. 200 years ago, there was less than 1% uh, Indonesian population Christians, 200 years ago. And now, we never really believe the official one. There are less than 10%, 15%. The growth is because of the work of Holy Spirit through His disciples preaching the gospel. Three things I would like to share. Uh, how Christ prepared these visions from verses 1 to 3. How he reveals this first, uh, vision to his disciples. And how he will guarantee uh, of this vision to be continued, to be carried out. Visions prepared. He mentioned from chapter 1 to uh, verses 1 to 3. Now, all that Jesus began to teach and to do, that is in the gospel, and giving instruction to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he sought himself to them, proving that he was still alive, or he was alive, sorry, and uh, he continued to speak about the kingdom of God. So one word to describe this is, Preparations is discipleship. He chose his disciples. He instructed them. He equipped them. He strengthened them. He then imparted the spirit uh, in John uh, chapter 20 and then commissioned them. That is what Jesus did. There are many more than this, but uh, uh, you can study uh, the discipleship in the book, in the gospel. This is what Jesus did. When he came, he had already visions for the entire world. But he started small in Galilee, calling these fishermen, sometimes really not an educated people. And he spent three and a half years with them, spending life every day, teaching them, equipping them with the visions that one day I will return because I will not be here forever. Three and a half years I was given this task. I was deployed for three and a half years. I have to return. Who will continue this? These disciples. And they need to be taught, be equipped, be strengthened, be empowered to go that. And he talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And it, interestingly, you will read that the last verse of the book of Acts speaks about Paul was in house, house arrest. He said, without hindrance and with boldness, he spoke about the kingdom of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the book ends with the kingdom of God continued to be preached even to the ends of his life. Uh, and spent many hours to talk about the kingdom of God. But this is it. Ferris Familiar to us, uh, if you are to be used by God for these visions, first of all, we need to be disciples and we disciple others. This is the vision and mission of JICF, uh, to be disciples of Christ and to make disciples of others. Uh, that's why I asked the questions earlier. Have you led someone to Christ? Are you discipling someone? And so forth. Yeah. Then we move to the second one. After he spent three and a half years with them, now is the time for him to go back 
few days before that, it says in one occasion, while he was eating with them. You will notice that in the gospel, lots of teachings of Jesus were given while they were having meal. Yeah. Lots of them, they were reclining on the table. They were invited by someone to eat. And while eating, he taught. Even the, uh, the, what's it called, the Holy Communion that we celebrate, it was given while they were eating. It has been proved that teaching while eating is quite good because it is a quite re- high reception when your stomach is, uh, is good, uh, full, uh, because it's very hard to listen when you're hungry. And uh, when you are eating, you are, you're relaxed. You're very relaxed. So you can receive better. Now, let's think whether our Sunday service can be turned into a mere time while listening. Maybe, because this year we will have also uh, food together uh, at least four times, a, four times a year. But while having this meeting, when they relax, a few days before he train, he said, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait but wait for the gift my father promised. What is this gift? It's Holy Spirit. He spoke about that. In John chapter 14, 16, he says that the disciples were very sad Jesus is going to go away. But he said, it is better for me to return, to go. Then I will send Holy Spirit to come to empower you to continue this work. For John baptized with water, but in few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this comes the teaching of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and oftentimes that divides churches more than builds the churches up. So, I will share mine. Uh, for me, baptism of Holy Spirit means more of being filled with the Spirit to bear witness of Christ. And I know there are, maybe we come from different, te- different backgrounds, we can have different uh, teachings about that. Uh, so when they met together, so when the disciples, they heard that Holy Spirit is going to come, and they thought, ah, something new is going to come. What is this? They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to establish a kingdom? And when they thought about a political kingdom, it is time now that we will rise up and fight against the Romans, kick them out from our land, we'll, we'll do so. Are you going to establish that now? We are ready for that. Many Jews had tried to do this physically, and they were killed. And at the end of 70 AD, the whole city was destroyed. But can you imagine that even to the last days of his life with the disciples, they still did not get his teaching. If you are a teacher, you go, okay, this is failed. F. I've spent three and a half years with you, and I'm, in a few days' time, you still don't understand my kingdom. You still think that, what about something else? Because you, probably, you speak about the kingdom of God. Uh, we all decide. Mark chapter 10 talks about even all the disciples, they bring their mothers to involve in that because their mothers were relatives of the mothers of Jesus. It's a little bit like KKN. Okay, let's, let's pursue certain position in his kingdom. Well, praise the Lord Jesus was very patient. 
He was a good teacher. He understood that they don't get it, but when the Holy Spirit comes, as he promised, the Holy Spirit will continue to teach them everything that I have taught you. That's what he said. Uh, you don't get it now, but soon you will get it. But he said to them, it is not for you to know about the times and date or dates when it, it will come. Only my father knows it in his in authority. We don't have to spend a lot of time fighting about when it's going to come, it happen. Let's focus on what we should do right now. There are people who are called to count when, what time, what day Jesus will return uh, to heaven. Well, they have time, energy to do so. Jesus says, let's focus on what we can do now. But you will receive power when Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. This is where the word Holy Spirit is mentioned here. You will receive power when Holy Spirit comes on you. I was reminded in the first service that, what is this? Now, some Christians will teach that this is where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in the lives and hearts of the believers. These apostles, they haven't received Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of them. Others will say that actually, that as disciples, they have believed in Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit comes primarily to empower them for the work of mission and evangelism. And those who think like that, they uh, used um, John chapter 20, 21. It is after Jesus uh, uh, came back to life, a few days before he returned to heaven. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I sent you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is perceived as now Holy Spirit indwells in the lives of these disciples. Uh, and he will come to empower them for the works of evangelism. Now, we can talk further about this in Bible study or in a, a one. Uh, we don't want because it's very, people have different uh, thing, uh, teachings on that. Uh, but I will focus more on what the power of Holy Spirit will do in the lives of these people because they come upon them. But at least this speaks about the new beginning of new, we can say new era in the lives of the church. Jesus came, the Father plans for the salvations. Jesus came to execute the salvations on the cross and he returns and Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, will come, will launch the New Testament church and he will continue to do so until now. But the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to focus on Jesus Christ. He'll direct us, he will teach us, he will remind us everything that Christ has taught, Christ has done on the cross. Uh, and to be baptized, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, if we read further from the book of Acts, we'll find 
That is to be filled with the Spirit. Even in chapter 2, after they received the Holy Spirit coming down in different uh, forms, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, once again, when Peter spoke, he was filled with the Spirit and he began, uh, began to speak. Many uh, verses after that, uh, that early church, when they came together, they prayed, and they were all filled by the Spirit. Paul also filled by the Spirit. And disciples in chapter 13 in, uh, also filled with the uh, Spirit. Indwelling by the Spirit is just for us to you know, is only once in our lifetime. When Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, He lives this permanently. This is what I believe. But being filled with the Spirit is something we continue need to do so. As uh, Ephesus chapter 5 says, we need to continue to be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to control, to guide, and to lead us. There is a special place of Acts chapter 2 in the history of New Testament church, but the lessons we can learn is when we are filled with the Spirit, we are empowered to do what God calls us to do. The Spirit that comes upon them gives them power. Give them uh, power. There are two words uh, for power in Greek. One is dunamos, the other one is exosia. Exosia means authority. When we are given power, authority, we are given authority. Uh, and authority not always the same as strength. For example, if you have a police officer or female police officers, uh, not all women are weaker than men, but uh, wearing uniform and stand on the street. When the big truck comes, she just raises her hands and the truck will stop. Not because the truck is weaker than this police, but because the authority, the uniform that she wears gave her authority to do so. So, uh, Bible talks about we are given authority uh, to live our Christian lives. But the, the other word is dunamos, from which we have a word dynamite, dynamic. It is a, a miraculous power of God that will enable the disciples to go out to preach the gospel and God confirmed this with signs and wonders we see uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, uh, we'll think about that when you, how that relates to us today, but it is it, uh, the, the spirit gives them power, gives them courage, abilities to go out and to be his witness. Think about Peter. A few weeks ago, he was hiding when he was accused, are you one of the disciples of Jesus? He was very fearful. He ran away. He denied Jesus. But soon now, he stood before thousands of people and spoke boldly about Jesus. He stood before the Sanhedrin, risking his life because of the gospel. The same Jesus that he was trying to run away a few weeks earlier, 
now he boldly proclaimed that. It is because he was empowered by the Spirit of God. Uh, and many other things. The Spirit comes, he gives gifts to his church, and launches this New Testament church. Let's continue to pray from like Ephesians chapter 5 that we also be continue to be filled with the Spirit. When you ask questions, why I have this fear not to share my faith? Maybe one of the reasons, maybe, is that I'm not truly filled with the Spirit of God. I'm not dominated, controlled by Him to provide me with boldness uh, to do so. And he says, you will, when you receive power, you will become my witness. You become my witness. What is witness? There are three meanings of witness in the New Testament. The Greek word is martyr or martus. Number one is to be witness in the, in the court, in the legal sense. Uh, we all know in the court right now, someone can be a witness of a crime scene or a murder case or other things. As a witness, you just share what you know, what you see. That's all. Uh, second meaning is uh, witness of the historical events. And in this case, for the disciples, the witnesses of the death and the resurrections of Jesus Christ. They were witnesses of that. And that encounter gave them boldness now to share with others. For example, uh, there are many verses on that. Uh, whenever Peter preaches or Paul preaches, he will mention about the gospel the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he says, we are witness of this. This is a truly historical event. Uh, you killed the other author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. We can ask questions, how can I become witness now if I'm not the first witnesses of Jesus' death? He died 2,000 years ago. Probably the answer is because we have the scripture that tells us about the gospel, about what Jesus did and, uh, and uh, teach at the time. We believe the testimony of the gospel. And secondly, we have encounter with Jesus. We, some people will say we receive Jesus into our lives. I made decisions to believe in him. And he changes my life, he transformed my life, and because of this, I'm willing to share it with others. If Jesus truly changes you, you do you want to share it with others, right? You want it. Think about millions of our fellow Muslims, probably in Indonesia, who do not know about this gift of salvation that will transform their lives. Many live in fear, fear of the spirit, fear of many other things, because they don't know the true and living God. They think that they have to work hard to end their salvations, which is impossible. And yet, 
salvation has been provided. With this, we are driven to share the faith. Witness also means martyr. When uh, Paul preached and he mentioned, uh, te uh, made testimony about Stephen, was martyred in chapter 7, he says, when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed. Now the same Greek word is used, but now here is translated as martyr and not a witness. And there's a good reason why this word is used for martyr. One church father says, the church is built on the blood of the martyrs. If you read church history, you will appreciate people who have gone before us, sacrificed their lives. They were killed or died. One guy traveled around the world and he said, there is one thing I see in all mission headquarters around the world. One thing, graves, graveyard. Husband has to bury their wives. Wives bury their husband. Families bury their own children for the sake of the gospel. Many were killed. Uh, the story that touched me a few months ago was one missionary uh, in India from Australia. They went to a village uh, to a celebration in the village. It was middle of the night already, so they decided to sit, uh, sleep inside their car. So tomorrow morning they will return to the city. But during the sleep in the car at night, people came and burned uh, the car and both father and son died inside of it. And many other stories we know. Maybe one of the reasons why we don't want to take risks is because, because of this. Let's pray about that. Of course, we, we do things with wisdom and courage. I always tell my team, let's be wise, but also be courageous. There's two important things when you go out. You don't want to go to a neighbor and say, hey, if you don't believe in Jesus, you will go to have hell. Now, it's probably not wise to say that. But ask Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, so we can be wisely and courageously uh, there. And maybe one day, you'll be arrested and put into prison for the sake of our faith. Are we willing to do that? The places where the churches grow most rapidly now are the places where Christians were brave to share their gospel. In China, in Iran, in many close countries. And when we read those stories like, uh, what is the name of that organization that they share about the voice of martyrs, uh, we'll be encouraged uh, uh, to, say, to say that. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Uh, these are the map that describes about that. Actually, are, this is the whole book of Acts is actually talking about this. The witness of gospel in Jerusalem, the witness of gospel in Jeru uh, Judea, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Someone make these uh, divisions. Chapter 1 to 5 talks about the witness in Jerusalem. Uh, 6 
to 9 in all Judea and Samaria, and from 10 to chapter 28, from that area goes beyond that, to Asia Minor, to Syria, Asia Minor, Europe, uh, and it ends in Rome. Rome could be seen at the ends of the world at the time, because the center of, uh, of the world. And some people who study mission says that Jerusalem speaks about the city where they live in at the time when they receive this, they will go to Jerusalem. So you have to be witness in the city where you live. And uh, all Judea and Samaria is the province and the, the state, we could say that, because Jerusalem is part of the province uh, Judea. Uh, and Samaria, Samaria is the place that is geographically close to Jerusalem, but culturally different. The Samaritans were neighbors, but they have different beliefs. They're more from different backgrounds. Uh, the mixed people, actually, because it's how the, the Syrian took them uh, when the Northern Kingdom was taken captive and brought other people into that. So they have this. Uh, things and and that always this enmity between uh, Samaria and Judea and, and, and Samaritan and but now Jesus says you have to be witness to them as well and we see that in chapter seven uh, eight when uh, Philip was sent there to be witness in in Samaria and it's interesting uh, to read the story uh, someone else will preach about that is that once he began to enjoy the fruit of the ministry in Samaria, hundreds, thousands of people come, they witness the miracles, and then Jesus told Philip, now leave and go down. I want to minister to someone who is on the way from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. You leave these big ministries, just go to minister to one people. That speaks something about this mission has to be continued. There is no establishment. When Christian churches are established, it's very dangerous. We begin to enjoy ourselves, and soon the problem will happen. That's happened in the book of Acts. We'll hear about Jesus says in chapter 8, you will be witnesses, but they begin to enjoy and live in Jerusalem, the apostles, and then God sent persecutions, chapter 8, verse 1. So sometimes we say, if you don't do chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1 will happen to you. And we don't want that to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't want to go out after persecution uh, comes. Uh, we do this uh, 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 from now. This continued uh, movement of, of the missions of the church. And when you travel like this, not only you go to new places, but you will meet new people, new faiths, new cultures. And this is what we see there. Primarily it was Jewish, and now they met the Gentiles. Now they have to think, how can we, we, we solve these problems? Now the Gentiles all came to the Lord, and they have this conference, chapter 15 talk about this. So sometimes when you do missions, you go out, you meet new people that give you challenges. Questions arise where you begin to think, search the scripture, how to answer these questions, how to overcome this. But 
it only happens when we go out and we reach out to our people. And when they come to faith, we want to disciples. How can we best disciples these people? The best to disciples ex-Muslims, ex-Buddhists, Hindus. How do you do that? There's hopes in the mission field. And that has been done by the church uh, uh, throughout uh, history until now. Unfortunately, many, even many seminaries now, they don't want to talk about mission anymore. There is one big institution in one country, I don't want to mention, that used to send lots of missionaries all over the world. Now they change the subject not to mission anymore, but they change to intercultural studies. It's not missions. But let's sit down and learn about other people's cultures, and that's okay. okay. We don't have to do missions. We don't have to preach the gospel to them. We just know, and, and that's, that's all. And they stop sending missionaries, and the churches are dying. They're dying. They have church building that has been there for 20 year, uh, 200 years. They just sold it for one dollar. Uh, it's been used for something. And lots of churches' buildings are closed down when people stop doing missions. Stop doing missions. In the early century, we talk about Asia Minor. It is considered that over 60% of Asia Minor, currently Turkey, was Christians. The fruits of the works of Paul and other disciples. But at one point of the time, they stopped preaching the gospel and planting churches. They stopped. History told us that there was a conflict between the church in the west and the east, which is based in Turkey, Constantinople. They were struggling to find against the persecutions, but the church in the other side were talking every day about whether the eyes of Mary should be gray or blue. That was the topic in theological discussions. When you don't go out, you begin to talk about things that are probably not important. Yeah? Uh, and soon the church dies. And now, how many percent in Turkey? Over 97%, 98% are not Christians. The whole church of Asia Minor that is mentioned is wiped out. There's probably a good lessons for all of us. Uh, the church is not meant to be just just establish. We need to move. Always move. Always try to new place. Reach out to new areas. And the last point is vision guaranteed. He gave this vision and now after he said this, he was taken up to heaven before the eyes. This is talking about the ascension and the promise of the second coming of the returning or the returning of Jesus. Now, this story has been mentioned by Paul in uh, by Luke in Luke 24. So it is kind of a, a repetitions. He repeated again this story of ascension. And I was thinking when I studied this, why Luke repeated this again? What is the relationship of this with chapter one, verse eight? Empowered to preach the gospel. I think, yeah. When Jesus returns, he will be the king. He's the king. 
He holds the authority. He sits at the right hand of the Father, speaking about authority that he has. He will rule over heaven and earth. That's what he says in Matthew 28. All authorities in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's the king up there. He's reigning. And he said, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. So when you face challenges, fears, oppositions, spiritually, remember, I am the king. I have returned uh, to the Father. I'm reigning from above. Of course, another reason is that he goes so he can send the Holy Spirit. So when we face challenges also, doing this vision, and sometimes you face government that is very anti-Christians, in certain places, it is not the crime that you do. Being a Christian is already a crime. It's unthinkable how people hate you because you are Christians. Challenges given everywhere. Sometimes other faiths are allowed, but specifically Christians are not allowed. There is something that we don't know. There is a spiritual warfare. But when we face those challenges, we remember Jesus returned to heaven. is reigning from there. Secondly, there was a promise also for his return. He said, the same Jesus that has been taken up from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go up. Jesus will come back. And the return of Jesus is also related to the preaching of the gospel. He will come back as, re- as king. He will ro- rule over the all peoples. We see this vision in uh, Revelation chapter 5. Before the thrones, people of all tongues, all people groups, all languages, they will stand before the throne. That's the vision of God. It's what he sees right now. It's always his desires. And he will return. And he will rule like that. Matthew 24 verse 14 says, And the gospel of this kingdom we will preach as a witness to all the nations, then I will come back. Or some people say, Jesus has not returned, probably because not all people have heard the gospel. It's amazing what churches and Christian organizations have been doing in the last centuries or so. Continuing effort to uh, reach out to people groups. There's a project called Joshua Project that mentioned about all people groups on earth, how many Christians there, what are their needs, how can you pray for them, and as you shared, uh, you may find out about that and begin to pray uh, about this. And uh, in, in Indonesia, we'll talk soon about that, even we have this huge opportunity as a church uh, to do this. So he's going back and he's returning, also relate to the preaching of the gospel. Of course, we can talk about how he comes back. At least it's feasible and physical. It will be seen. Now it's possible when everyone has TVs and satellites. When Jesus comes, you can see everywhere. Yeah? Uh, you can watch football in the middle of the night uh, being uh, played live. Uh, physical. The Jesus who came and Jesus who returned was different one. When he came, he was only God. Then he took humanity into him. 
and that he returned, he did not leave his humanity behind. He took his human humanity with him back so he can understand our struggles. And he will come one day physical about that. And that encourages us. He will reign. The story that we read now, we know the end. Finally, he will triumph. We are fighting from the winning team. Not because of our own strength and ability, but by the power of God, by the promise, guarantee that is given to us. We may have challenges, uh, discouragement, and so forth, but remember that he's up there and he will return. He will finally be the kings of kings, lord of lords. Uh, he will rule over all the nations. President will rise but fall down again. As Indonesians, we love probably our current president, but soon he will be going. And then we talked about this last night as well. Uh, we had a very fun uh, re-engaged celebrations uh, last night until 11 or 12. Uh, and then sometimes we talk politics a little bit. Uh, but it was very fun. Uh, in the church, we need to be ministered to. Our, our needs are there, but Jesus will reign. We know the end of the story already. Applications for us. John Stott writes a thick book on the book of Acts. They say, the Acts of the Apostles have long ago, long ago finished. The Acts of the followers of Jesus will continue till the end of the world. But the same spirit that was given continue indwells in us, empower us. Let's continue. Uh, some people will say whether the book of Acts is called Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because in the original one is only one word, X. Then X of the apostles emphasize on the human efforts empowered by the Spirit. X of the Holy Spirit emphasize on the works of Holy Spirit inside of us. Can be both. The X of Holy Spirit empowering us. When he empowers you, he can turn anyone into useful instrument in his hands. Think about Peter. John, these are all fishermen. They were disciples by Jesus. Someone said, it is interesting, but because when Jesus came, he didn't go to the rabbi school to recruit his disciples. Instead, he went by the seashore, recruited all these fishermen, rough people. But he find them, he discipled them, empowered them, and they turned the world upside down these people. If you read the book, what if Jesus had never been born? You see the influence, the impact of the gospel throughout the world because of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Some questions for us to think. Am I a true disciple of Jesus? How do I know? Am I a witness of Jesus in my life? We just learn the word witness. How do I know? Do I want to be his witness? Do you want to be his witness? Do you want to be empowered by his spirit, his wisdom, to be his witness? And how can I be witness in my Jerusalem 
my city, my Judea, my country, my province, in Samaria, people who are different from me, culturally, to the ends of the earth. We are given privilege by the Lord to live in the largest Muslim country in the world. Probably eight or nine of the people we meet on the streets are Muslims every day. And it is a great privilege. Let's pray how can we reach out to these people. Someone told me, why do you waste so much time and energy reaching out to them? It is a waste of time, waste of energy, waste of resources. I felt very sad because of that. Because God has put us in a strategic place to do so. And GICF as church has been so generous uh, in that. But this is the reason why uh, the elders chose this book. So that we all can be involved in evangelism, discipleship, uh, and missions. Uh, that was the original one that we, we learned now. Uh, we have been good in giving money to lots of organizations. Uh, maybe now we think one more, one step further to be involved ourselves directly there. Now, how to do that? I cannot tell you. Maybe you pray, how can God reveal it to you? Because Jesus reveals this vision to his disciples. Pray about your city. Any opportunity to share in your office, in your business, uh, in your school, in Judea, in the country, in Samaria? How can we reach out to our, our neighbors? Yeah. And ends of the earth, to everywhere. Who knows? Some of you will be called into full-time missionary from here. It can happen. But if not, you can be all full missionary, serving the Lord. At JICF, we have lots of ministry leaders who, are, who have their own works, their own businesses. All the others have their own works and business and still can serve the Lord. But some people maybe will call to do something very specific for a longer period of time. Be open to the Lord for that. And if you have ideas, I want to do this for the city, you can come and talk to the elders. And I know the answer to give. If God gives it to you, you are the best person to do it. And we find ways to support that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for revealing to us your hearts, your desires for your church. That your church, your people be discipled, be ministered to, be equipped, but not only there, and there will be commissions, empowered by the Spirit to the whole world, to every tribe, every nation, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. I pray that the same Holy Spirit who came down will continue to speak, to guide, to lead each and every one of us here. To speak about the needs. Maybe someone, father, our neighbors or our families, our relatives are in need of the gospel. Or a certain group of people. Or people in our office. Please move our hearts 
make it an, something that we can do intentionally in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we give thanks. Amen.